four of our series where we look at fear. We're looking at how it influences us and how we overcome it. We've called this series Fearless. And uh, the first week, we, I asked you to think about your greatest fears, and we talked about how fear drives so much of the decisions that we make in our culture. It drives what we watch on TV, how we live, how we vote. But 1 John 4 tells us that God is love, and perfect love drives out fear. The cure to your fear, we said, is not getting rid of it or, or just overcoming it. The cure to your fear is the person of Jesus Christ because God is love. Perfect love drives out fear. In week two, we talked about the fear of failure. We said that that comes in two different ways. Uh, what if I don't succeed and what will pe people think of me if I don't succeed? And we looked at the story of Gideon and how God used a man who was scared to death, but he used him to deliver his people. And we said that sometimes God strips away every crush that we have uh, so that we can learn how to lean on him. And that was the story of Gideon. Last week, we talked about the fear of lack, and it comes in two ways. What if I don't have enough? What if I have enough now, but I lose it? And we talked about the gap between our expectations and reality, and we said that the fear of lack really comes out of a fear that our expectations are not going to be met, but we said the answer to this fear is to learn how to be content. Today, I want to talk about, I want to wrap this series up, we're going to talk about the fear of tomorrow. My four-year-old used to learn how I uh, love to hike trails, and you guys can see this picture. Uh, this is her on top of Merkel in Usury. So I don't know if you guys have ever been to Usury and climbed Merkel. She's two years old at this point. Two years old, uh, walked all the way herself, uh, walked all the way down. She loves to get outside and climb mountains. And a couple years ago, we were on a family trip to Bell Rock in Sedona. I got another picture of that. And everyone, that was her uh, on top of my shoulders the entire time because we went. And as we went, we saw that the trail was moderate. So I was like, well, she hiked Merkel and usually this is pretty, should be pretty easy for her. I think she can make this happen. And so she, we, we went and there's actually some hard parts of Bell Rock and Sedona. It's, it's difficult. And so most of the time, and I think she was in a bit of a mood as two year olds can do. And so most of the time I carried her on my shoulders the entire time. I carried her on my shoulders. And guys, let me tell you, I was dying. I was dying. About halfway up, I remember telling Liz, uh, I don't think I can go on anymore. I don't think I can make this happen. I think, I think, I, I, I mean, like, I feel like I'm about to pass out and like I'm overheating. And it's just, I, I thought, man, I, I must be like super out of shape. Just super like, like there's something wrong with me right now. I feel like I'm hyperventilating, whatever. But then, and my wife is over there, and she's like, oh, let's keep going, you know, and then my, like, 10-year-old's over there, oh, let's keep going, and everybody's like, let's just keep going, but I'm, like, over there, like, I can't handle it, and then I realized, I'm carrying this, like, 25-pound pack this entire time, and none of them are doing that, and so it wasn't that I couldn't make the hike, it wasn't that I couldn't do it, it was that I could, I was having a hard time making the hike plus 25 pounds that like to move around and fidget and do all the stuff and you know do all the things that a two-year-old does. I was having a hard time with that. And for some of us, the constant fear of what might be around the next bend in the road is a pack that we're constantly carrying. Some of us are exhausted. Some of us have anxieties that we're dealing with. Some of us can't sleep at night. And it's because we're carrying fears about what may happen. What happens if it goes this way? What happens if it goes that way? What happens tomorrow? We carry these fears and it's like having a pack the whole time and we live our lives exhausted. You were not meant to carry fears about tomorrow. And we're going to unpack that statement 
in this message. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. All your heart means all of you is to be submitted to God's care. Every piece of you needs to be leaning on God. It needs to be submitted to him, unto his direction. All of our beliefs, all of our decisions, all of our life, it must be submitted to him because we understand that our own understanding is limited. We understand our own understanding is limited. Why would I lean on what I see? Why would I lean on what I'm scared of? Why would I lean on what I understand? Why would I do that? Why would I trust in my own strengths and my own wisdom? Sometimes our prayers that we ask God for are for God to bless our plans and our, our wisdom and, and to bless whatever it is that we're doing. But our prayer shouldn't be to this. Our prayer should be for his presence in our lives. When I'm in his presence, I lean on his wisdom. I, lead, I take uh, direction from him. He directs my steps. In all our ways, acknowledge him. And for some of us, we create versions of ourselves. And then we play the role that's required for whatever that scene is in our lives. So we have, if, if it's me, I'll just pick on me for a moment. I have church Jeff, and then I have work Jeff, and then I have home Jeff. And then, you know, some of us, we have hanging out with our buddies uh, version of us. And then we have our, our dad version of us. And we have the blowing off steam, uh, shooting golf balls or shooting bullets or whatever it is that you do to blow off steam. You have that version of you. And we play a role in each section of our lives. And we only leave God the part of Sunday morning or whatever it is that whatever time we think God needs to be a part of our lives. But God does not want a version of you. He wants all of you. Because when the paths bend and you get a negative report or a pink slip or a bill you weren't expecting or the teenagers are belling, whatever happens, whatever it, uh, whenever life happens like that, God is only going to come into the areas of your life that you've allowed him access to. And so if you don't want God in certain areas of your life, when it all goes to, you know what, what happens is, is that we, 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 we now we turn to God and we ask God, but there's, we've conditioned ourselves to have those parts of our life where God is not a part of. And so Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says this again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You got your Bibles. We're going to be in James chapter 4 today. James chapter 4. And we're, we're just going to kind of walk through a good portion of this chapter. Because in the end, he, he, he talks about the fear of tomorrow, but, but he sets it up. He sets it up in, in stuff that we really need to learn for us to, to be able to, to face this fear of what may happen tomorrow. In James chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Sometimes the wars that we fight, sometimes the battles that we find ourselves in is not the, the result of some type of external antagonist coming against us. 
If only that person at work would stop acting the way that they are, then my life would be smooth. If only my husband would quit talking to me like that, then my life would be smooth. If only this would happen, if only this other person would be fixed. Sometimes the wars that we experience are not because this external antagonist, but it's because there's an antagonist within. What causes quarrels among you? What causes fights among you? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you, are wrongly, you ask wrongly. He then says this in verse 4. You adulterous people. A couple things here before we move on just from those three words. Uh, first, we all know what adulterous implies, but what does it really mean? That means that, that, that there is someone with whom I've made a covenant to fulfill my needs, but I'm going somewhere else to fulfill them. There's someone with whom I've made a covenant like my spouse. When, when, when someone is in adultery, you make a covenant with your spouse, but then you go to someone else to fulfill those needs. And so James says that you are an adulterous people. He says that you're going somewhere else to fill the needs with, for a covenant that you've made with God. As he says this, he, you know, for, for some of us, we, when we hear a message like this, there's always a temptation to look around the room to see if the person that we hope is listening is actually listening to the message. How many of you guys have ever done that? You laugh because it's true. We laugh because it's true. Man, I, I wish they would hear that. Man, I wish that they would hear that they're going to the wrong person to fulfill their needs. Man, I wish they would hear that. But that's not how it works. That is the fastest way to hypocrisy. It's to want God's word to work for someone else without it first working in me. So if your first reaction to James' teaching of uh, you adulterous people, you're getting your needs filled in the wrong places. If your first reaction is, oh yeah, they better hear this, then you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. We start with, I need to hear this. When he says, you adulterous people, where have I been going and putting my trust in things other, other than God? The first thing I need to do is ask myself, am I doing this? James 4. Verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That's quarreling, that's fighting with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? How do we know if we're a friend of the world? It's helpful to understand that James is teaching a dichotomy here. There's God's way of doing things, and then there's any other attempt that the world may come up with to achieve whatever the goal is, right? And so it's God's way or everything else. And so to, to, to kind of put a title on everything else, James calls it the world. And so he's got this dichotomy that, 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 that comes in, and really the dichotomy is this, is that we have a choice of living for God's glory or our pleasure. This doesn't mean that you cannot experience both at the same time. You can experience pleasure and still be living for God's glory. Yesterday, I took my daughter to the outlet mall, my 10-year-old daughter, who's literally the coolest kid to ever hang out with on the face of the planet, right? Just fun. Um, and and we, we went there, we hung out, we got some stuff, and then when we went to Krispy Kreme, it was an amazing day. It was a lot of fun. And I'm not saying that you have to like live your Christian life and be like, well, glory to God, um, it's just hard. Uh, I'm just I'm just struggling. And but but I'm living for God's glory. You know, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, when I look inside my spirit and I say, what is it inside of me that is 
that I'm striving for, that I'm pushing after, that if, if all else fails, man, I want this to happen. What is driving my life? Is it God's glory or is it my own pleasure? And this is the dichotomy that James is, is teaching us. And this is when he says that we're an adulterous people. We, we live for our own pleasures. We live for the absence of our own pain. I mean, and that's just something that's in every single one of us. The question is, what are we pursuing? At the end of the day, what's the main goal of my life? Is it God's glory or is it my happiness? Is it God's glory or is it my pleasure? Is it God's glory or is it my plans? James continues in verse 6. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Some of us, some of us understand the mercy of God. But we don't understand the grace of God. Mercy is if you did something wrong and I withhold punishment from you, right? Sherry and I were talking before, her son's going to be a, uh, trying not to be a cop in a, a state trooper. And she's like, well, if he pulls me over, uh, is he gonna, is he gonna uh, write me a ticket? I'm his mom, he shouldn't do that. That's, that's mercy. Like you were speeding, you deserve a ticket, but I'm not gonna, I'm gonna withhold this punishment from you because of the relationship we have. That's mercy. We understand mercy, right? All my sin, my life, my, my, uh, my, my, everything that I did, that deserves hell. That's what the Bible says. But God's mercy through Jesus is that Christ came and saved us. We understand that. But grace is not withholding punishment we deserve. Grace is giving favor that we don't deserve. So it's not withholding punishment that you do deserve. It's giving favor that you don't deserve. And James says, but when you, when you serve God, when you live for his glory, when you're about what he's doing in the world, he gives more grace. I need the favor of God in my life just as much as I need him to withhold punishment from me. You guys understand that? How many of you guys have ever been like, man, dude, life is hard right now. I don't know what to do at work. I don't know how to pay my bills. I don't know what to, but I need, I need favor. I need God to give me something. Give me like wisdom. Give me, give me a way to do, give me a way forward. God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, verse seven, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, James is showing us the dichotomy of proud. My ways, my plans, my life, and humble, it's all for his glory. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, God gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What happens a lot of times when people are, are speaking or they're writing is they do what's called a callback. You hear comedians do this all the time. They'll be talking about, uh, I was just watching a comedian a, a couple days ago. He was talking about a bear. And then he you know, did this whole bit about a bear. And then like five minutes later, he's talking about like a family vacation or something else. And then he just throws in one random joke about a bear that he was talking about like five minutes ago. And the whole audience like cracks up because they're tracking with him. They understand what he's saying because it all fits together. And when James says, uh, purify your hearts, you double-minded, it's a callback to something he says 
in chapter 1. James 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, again, we're thinking about the fear of tomorrow. What, what's going to happen tomorrow? How am I going to face this? How am I going to go about this? How am I going to win this battle that I, that, that I know that's coming? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. And so when we ask God for something and we don't expect God to come through or we expect it to be worse and worse and worse or we, or we don't expect that God can handle the situation or I don't give it to him. I'm being double-minded. And James says that, that, that I should expect anything from God when I'm being double-minded. And then he tells us later in chapter 4 that I should cleanse my hands and purify my hearts from being double-minded. It's against this backdrop of God in the world, pride and humility that James says this in, in chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It, and as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Is James saying that making plans for the future is evil? No. He's not. He's saying that our plans must not be based on our own arrogance and our own evil desires, but instead we must submit our lives to God and, and to his will. And when we do that, there's a life of blessing. So many of us, the reason why we fear tomorrow, the reason why we have anxiety, the reason why everything is, is because we're wanting God to bless our own plans. We're wanting God to, to, to do whatever it is that we want him to do. It's like some type of like genie or something like that. God, I'm going to give you three wishes over the course of your lifetime. Use them wisely. That's not how it works. God is sovereign. God has a plan for the world. God is the one that's in control. We live for his glory. We were created to worship him. We were created to have relationship with him. That's the whole reason why we exist. We were, we were given the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to bring power to us, to comfort us, so that we can make an impact on this world. And for so many of us, we fear tomorrow, not because of what tomorrow might actually bring, but because we've got our eye off the ball of what we're supposed to be pursuing. We have to be about what God is doing. We have to be about what God is doing. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Gonna, we're just going to read a lot of verses here um, because Jesus says it way better than I ever could. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow 
nor reap, nor gather into borders, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you not, are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor they, they spin. They, they don't make their own clothes. That's what he's saying. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who don't believe, seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. And then he says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What does seek mean? Seek means to search out. I'm, I'm the dad who, when we lose the remote in, in, in our house, like everything must come to a complete stop. Any other dads like that, you know? Like when you lose, yeah, when you lose the remote, everything must come to a stop. Every, whatever it is that you're doing, I don't care if you've got like a project tomorrow morning that is like 100% of your grade for your class, we're gonna stop and we're gonna find what it is that you get lost, right? We're gonna seek it out. We're going we're gonna to find it. We're going we're, we're to make this the number one priority right now. We're going to search with vigor. We're, I'm going to be like picking up couch cushions. And then when they're not in the couch cushions, I'm like picking up the couch itself, you know, and like looking up. Like I'm going after this thing because I want to find it. Jesus says that we need to seek first the kingdom of God. We need to be digging into our lives and figuring out what is God doing? What can, how can I be a part of it? Where's God's kingdom moving in the world? How, how can I, I connect to what God is doing? I want to run to the hurt and the hurting and the broken without caring if I may become one of them because that's what God does and that's what God is doing. James 1 verse 27 says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained or unstained from the world. At the end of my life, may it not be said that I was pursuing the wrong things. My pleasure, my plans, my comfort, my happiness, my desires. No, we have to seek out God's kingdom. We have to seek out God's kingdom. God, what are you doing in the world and how can I be a part of it? And the thing is, is that some of us may think that, that this is going to be something big. Man, if I'm not doing something like Billy Graham, uh, then, then God's kingdom is not at work in me. We live in a world where so many people, the Christians that they have met, have been like hyper-judgmental. Uh, they, they, have, they have no love, they have no grace, they have no mercy, they, 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 they super judgy, and that's what they think of, of Christians. Maybe you being a part of God's kingdom is just you being the Christian that's not like that. 
You being the Christian that is, is, is someone that, that is a shoulder to cry on, that is someone that you can talk to, that is someone that, 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 that loves uh, regardless, that is someone that, that stands for truth regardless, that is someone who's not wishy-washy like James is talking about, but someone who stands on God's word but yet stands in love at the same time. We've talked about this before. Maybe that's you acting out God's kingdom. I told the story several weeks ago about a girl in Honduras, and I'm just going to tell it again real quick. Liz and I uh, met a girl in Honduras that uh, she was a college student, and she would go, she, we went to all these orphanages, and she was actually studying to go to Africa to work in orphanages, and she had never seen the orphanages in her own country. If we can get our heads up out of our own plans, out of our own life, out of our own busyness, and just look around, I promise you that there's parts of God's kingdom that you can connect to right here, right now. There's people that are hurt and there's people that are broken. There's people that are lost. There's people that need a savior. There's people that need love. There's people that, that need food. There's people that need a place to, to sleep. There's, there's people like that literally within five minutes of where we're standing right now. I would say a five minute walk even. We have to be about what God is doing. And when we become about what God is doing, we don't fear tomorrow anymore because we know that he's in control we know that he's in control we know ultimately who wins he wins it's not that we win it's he he wins and then we get the opportunity to decide which side we want to be on do i want to be on my side or do i want to be on god's side because god wins and so we 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 would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Instead of worrying about what may happen tomorrow, start searching out what God is doing.